Andrea. And I'm Claudia. And we're the Judgy Crime Girls. Hello, hello. Hello and welcome. I have not seen you in a week. <laughs> it's been a long week. You have no idea. I don't think we've talked about that she left me. She broke up with me. So we don't see each other every day anymore. I did not break up with you. You are my <laughs> eternal work wife. <laughs> Uh, but you know, it's interesting because at the staff meeting today, one of our team leaders came up with the idea that we should give our eulogies. Oh, fun. And it was very thought provoking because you had to write it as if your life is not over yet. Like you're dying when you're 80 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So everything else you want to accomplish, you would then write down. Okay. But it was so funny because he started playing funeral music. Oh my god! Before That'd I gave be it, funny. Well, mine would just literally just be she did not light up a room. I just want y'all to know. Here lies a judgy crime girl. Yeah. Who did not light up the room? <laughs> yeah. I was not a joy to be around. Absolutely. <laughs> We are not. No. 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 Oh, that is so funny. Yeah. It was pretty deep. So if you've never done it, definitely makes you start thinking about what you want to accomplish mm -hmm. before that day comes. So I just want to lay on the beach and get drunk every day. That's my, that's what I'm working towards. Retirement. That will be my big accomplishment. Yes. Retirement is a big accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully like not it. too far out. Cool. What else you been up to, girl? I went to the Make-A-Wish um, gala yes, this did. past weekend. And I met a little girl who is terminal. Mm -hmm. She was eight years old and or so. Um, she had no hair. She was on oxygen. And if you've never been to something like that, you ball your eyes out oh, the entire sure. time. Yeah. But it was very moving. It was a lot of fun. Got to meet a lot of cool people. And I'm definitely going to go back next year. Basically, every cancer survivor kid was there. And then you were crying so hard, you you just were like, take my money. Well, and um, they raised enough money to fulfill a wish for 27 kids, I think. And there are currently 80 yeah, I think there were 89 yeah. in Allen County that were waiting for wishes to be granted. Right. And to be able to grant 27 is pretty big. It was That huge. was amazing. It yeah. was really cool. Awesome. Yeah, and we uh, celebrated my daughter's birthday. And I'll tell you what, I came home from that thing and I just held her that oh, night. Oh, yeah, I know. Because she's about the same age as that little girl. Mm-hmm. It was really a crazy weekend. We had a lot going on. We had a birthday party for Malia. I got to see Jess, Hi, one Jess. of our listeners. Mm -hmm. And um, it was just, my heart is so full. So it's nice. been a really cool week for us, kind of on cloud nine, but. Awesome. Yeah. So how was your week? Well, uh, uneventful. I We worked in the yard. Uh, I made three trips to Menards and spent close to $300. 
I don't even know on what, but I did buy a huge big planter for my plant, for my big elephant ear plant that I've been talking about replanting, and that thing alone was like $100. I had no idea they were so expensive. Oh my gosh. Uh, but it's beautiful, so when we go back downstairs, you have to admire my replanting work. I definitely will. Yeah, we're kind of in a new studio uh, and new space new setup, new job, new everything. Mm -hmm. So hopefully this recording sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Claudia, for hooking up everything and <laughs> kicking my husband out. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, no. Yeah, I, I think this will be great. Time to move on. Right. Yeah, yeah. other than that, you know, worked on my garden, got my seeds. I'm a huge gardener and love doing that so that's pretty much all we did all weekend it was gorgeous outside Yard work, yeah it was a beautiful it weekend was absolutely gorgeous i just saw on hulu um a new series it is about stephen stainer yeah who was kidnapped i think back in 1972 i think it's called captive audience a real american horror story mm-hmm I think Stephen was about six or seven when he was kidnapped and uh, returned as either a young adult or an older teenager. I don't remember. I used to, I watched a movie on Lifetime almost 30 years ago and it was called I Know My Name is Stephen or My Name is Stephen. And that story always stuck with me. Mm. That poor kid and how, so the guy that kidnapped him ended up kidnapping another little boy, Timmy White, and Stephen said, I cannot let Timmy go through what I've been through. It's really good. So I can't wait to watch the documentary. And it's on, on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. So I just told you I have to break. I have to hack into my own Hulu account. <laughs> you guys have got to join us on Thursday tomorrow yes. tune in we're gonna do a live um true crime trivia at mm -hmm. seven fifteen tomorrow evening so are you excited about trivia i am super excited about trivia i love trivia Me love too. it love it love it love it so we have some prizes mm -hmm. we have a starbucks gift card mm -hmm. vinyl sticker yep. that you can put on your car your laptop wherever your child yeah. you know wherever <laughs> you want to put it whatever yeah. and then lovely handwritten notes from us mm -hmm. to you you'll definitely be writing those because your handwriting is a lot better than mine <laughs> mine they're going to be like is claudia a secret doctor because i can't read this <laughs> hey also i wanted to if i could just um real quick mention about the case that's currently in unfolding in Washington County, Indiana. It's in southern Indiana in Sellersburg. Uh, Sunday, April 17th, a mushroom hunter found a little boy stuffed inside a small suitcase. Some of you may have heard about it. It's uh, all over the news. Uh, the mushroom hunter immediately called 911. The suitcase uh, has the Welcome to Las Vegas logo wrapped all the way around it. I showed you a picture a little bit ago. Uh, it's it's a very distinct suitcase. It looks like something you would get as a souvenir, souvenir. Yeah. but it's a suitcase. 
Right, and it looks, it's like a hard shell suitcase. It's not very big, but the suitcase was also in fairly good condition. So what we know about the boy is that he's approximately five years old, African-American, about four feet tall, slim build, and short hair. Police believe the death occurred within the past week of discovery. The boy appeared well cared for. Autopsy was completed last week, Tuesday, but the, as we know, the toxicology results can take up to six weeks to come back. So far, the little boy doesn't match any known case involving a missing child. So this kid could be literally from anywhere. Doesn't even mean that he is from Indiana. He could be from anywhere. Mm. Indiana State Police set up a national tip line. If you have any information about this baby boy, or even the suitcase or whatever, please call 1-888-437-6432. And that is the Indiana State Police tip line, national tip line. That is just so sad. It is sad. Very sad. So they're not even really sure what happened to him. For our Fort Wayne friends, the Fort Wayne Sexual Assault Treatment Center will be at the 10 Cap Stadium on Wednesday when this airs. Um, and the forensic nurses, they're going to be rocking their denim jeans in honor of Denim Day. Um, it is Wednesday, April 27th. So if you would like to show your support, you can stop by their table and say hi. If you're out and about, I know... My daughter really wants to meet them. She wants to become a forensic nurse when she gets older. In 1998, the Italian Supreme Court overturned a rape conviction because the victim wore tight jeans. And that is why they will be wearing their denim jeans that day. Mm, That is what created Denim Day. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So we're going to swing by and hopefully meet them. Maybe you can come too. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Well, today I am going to talk about um, John Williams Cooper, and um, he kind of looks like Bob Ross to me. (laughs) So I'm going to show you a picture. Oh my goodness. It is Bob Ross's twin brother. But yeah, look at that hair. (laughs) It is something else. And he, so he has this, it looks like a wig Mm -hmm. and it's curly and crazy but then he also has this Tom mustache <laughs> that goes all the way down and it kind of reminds me of like a, a wrestler mm-hmm. i don't know which one they all look like the same to me hulk hogan yes hulk hogan yes why do i know that oh my god <laughs> i don't know but i love that you know it in public he was a friendly and chipper character to friends in the outside world. But to his family, he was a controlling monster with an explosive temper. Okay. And he looks so harmless. He he looks friendly. And he did to everyone else. Well, he lived in Milford Haven, a large port town in Pembrokeshire, Wales. So we're going to England. We're in the UK. Yes, All we right. are. So behind the happy-go-lucky mask of... This says good looking, but you know, (laughs) an ordinary citizen, he was a completely hidden person. He maintained the image of a family man, but he liked to gamble. 
So despite winning money, he also quickly lost it, resulting in his moods changing violently, as witnessed by his young son and terrified wife. John never shared his winnings with his family and quickly went through a win of 70,000 pounds. Pounds, okay. That's almost 90,000 US dollars. What are you buying over there? Yeah, no kidding. Leading yet again to desperation to find money. It's like me, I get paid. Where'd all that go? I, yeah. I have no idea. John would dabble in robberies to further indulge his gambling addiction. His son was beaten for the most minor things. And at just 11 years old, he feared for his life when John pointed a gun at his face, oh, taunting him, and even went as far as pulling the trigger. What is wrong with you? Much to his son's surprise, it wasn't loaded. But he had no idea. No. And how scary. So when the family dog got older and was having a hard time using its legs, John took it out back and beat it for at least half an hour straight. I do not want to hear this. Until it finally died. Oh my God. I know. That is horrible. If that gives you any idea as to what kind of person this guy was, he's horrible. So on December 22nd, 1985, he targeted a three-story farmhouse owned by millionaires, and they were brother and sister, Richard and Helen Thomas. Lived together? Yeah, they were were millionaires? They were middle-aged, and they were brother and sister. That is weird. That is weird. That's what I thought. I mean, my brother and I are middle-aged, and there's no way in hell. If I have a million dollars, I'm not going to live with my brother. I probably have a 12,000 square foot east wing, and he has a 12,000 square foot west wing. But again, why? Yeah, really, why? (sighs) Just get the hell out of my 24,000 square foot mansion (laughs) by your own. (laughs) His only intention was to rob them, but they caught him off guard. Mm. So he threatened them with a shotgun before tying them up, robbing them, and then shooting them both at close range. So officers found shotgun pellets embedded in the walls of the house, which led me to believe they were maybe running away from him. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he set the house on fire to destroy evidence of the crime at the time when DNA was still years away from being developed. And police had no suspects. The case went cold. Mm. Well, during these years where Cooper acted as a controlling tyrant at home, he was also making a name for himself as a competitor on TV quiz shows. Where else, right? <laughs> kind of like Jeopardy? Yeah, okay. kind of like that. But, I mean, anything to make some money, right? What a loser. Get a job. He's like, Wheel of Fortune, I'm in. Four years after the double murder, the narcissistic side of John led him to appear as a contestant on the popular darts show Bullseye, is what it was called. And actually, he did really terrible on it, which made me (laughs) so happy. It was presented by the upbeat Jim Bowen, the curly-haired murderer John Cooper, exchanged conversation revealing to the nation that his unusual hobby was scuba diving. You know how they always ask you, oh, yeah. no, how are you What do today? you like to do for fun? Drink. <laughs> you lay <laughs> in the sun, nude, on the beach. That's you. Getting drunk. Yeah. Don't forget dual yes. rinks. <laughs> uh, but also talked at length about the geography of the West Wales countryside and showed he had intimate knowledge of the area. 
the area more specifically where bodies would be later be found. So the seemingly ordinary contestant hid from millions of TV viewers the darkest of secrets, that he was in fact a brutal killer. And why did John make appearances on TV? Yeah. Was it out of vanity? Did he need more money? Or did he just feel like he was invincible? So he just... I'm hitting the buzzer. Me. All of the above? (laughs) (laughs) So in less than four weeks after the recording of Bullseye, the beautiful coastal town of Pembrokeshire, and it is gorgeous, became the unlikely scene of horror after um, he attacks again, a vicious robbery and murder of a middle-aged couple, Peter and Gwenda Dixon. Uh, Now, they were a couple, not brother and sister, right? So they were camping near Milford Haven, and they had stayed at a place called Howellston Camping and Caravan Park. They just wanted to come and see the coastline. Mm -hmm. And on the morning of June 29th, 1989, it was their very last day. They were drying out their tent, um, so they decided to take a walk. And they were not too far from their campsite. And they were on a very popular path, okay. so it wasn't like they went too far. So shortly after, they were confronted by John. He was dressed in black, his face was hidden, and he pointed his gun at them. Well, with their pulses racing, the couple desperately looked into John's eyes as they were tied up and robbed. Peter was forced to hand over his bank card and PIN number, and both terrified victims were shot at close range, one before the other, so that whoever died last must have known their terrible fate. In total, he shot them five times, continuing to shoot at the already dead bodies. And then he went from ATM to ATM, withdrawing money from the couple's accounts. Take take my card. You're not going to get very far. It's going to decline at the very first ATM. You won't get far. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. My money is not even going to put enough gas in your car to get out of town, out of city limits. <laughs> well, it wasn't until five days later when their worried son contacted the police to report his missing parents. So the couple had been brutally murdered for just 300 pounds or about $385. Well, police discovered their bodies under some brush and admitted that they could not help but be overcome by emotion. The appalling facial injuries inflicted, they were almost too much to bear the sight of. Such a brutal murder of, you know, a harmless middle-aged couple in a peaceful setting. They had no idea what to think of it. A drug gang. They just weren't sure. There was a massive manhunt, but no one was found. And DNA was gathered from the scene, but the advanced DNA testing still didn't exist. Items were archived and preserved for future analysis. At least they were smart enough to grab their Ziploc bags. Well, and here lately, um, over the years, that's how unsolved cases have been solved, you know, with more advanced technology. Mm -hmm. John remained uncaptured, and seven years later, a group of teenagers in Milford Haven were forced to lie down by a hooded man, threatening the youngsters with a shotgun. A 16-year-old girl was raped and a 15-year-old sexually assaulted by him. Authorities were unable to find the attacker. 
There soon began a spree of armed house robberies in the area, and people were more watchful. And this is where Grandma comes in. Oh, okay. go Granny! So John had chosen to rob a terrified, alone, elderly woman, but he didn't know she was a badass. <laughs> There's always a badass. I know, but I just love that it was like Grandma. Grandma, and I say, love it. I say Grandma. I don't really know that she was a grandma. In fact, the article, I couldn't even find her name. But oh. I love her, love her, love her. Yeah. So he tied her up, gagged her, and beat her with his gun. And like a badass in her 20s, she somehow still managed to run and sound an alarm, sending John to run for the hills. She scared the piss out of him. Nice. I love it. So in a rare moment of panic... He ditched his face mask and gloves in bushes, which is exactly where police found them. And I bet it was like Christmas for the police. Mm -hmm. They were like, yes. yes. So the botched robbery and the discarding of his tools led police to identify and arrest John. And in 1998, he was arrested for 30 robberies and violent assault. So during a raid on his home, Police recovered jewelry, silverware, and pictures, like photo frames. Some still had the photos of his victims in them. Well, they also found a pair of khaki shorts that wouldn't be significant for another decade. Oh, and, wow. And remember that. We're going to come back to those. Okay. Khaki shorts. Still not known as a killer, he was sentenced to just 14 years in prison for those incidents. Okay. So in 2006, a group of detectives known as Operation Ottawa were asked to investigate the three previously unlinked crimes, the Dixon murder, the double murders of the siblings, um, Helen and Richard Thomas, mm -hmm. and the sexual assault and rape of the teenagers. So with no forensic evidence to point to a suspect, the crimes had remained in those cold case files. It took another two years of witness statements and scrutinizing thousands of old exhibits before the Ottawa team were convinced that the same person was responsible for all three of those crimes. They were trying to link them together. Such a person, they believed, had the ability to control multiple victims, understood the area, and was unafraid to use extreme violence at the hands of a shotgun. Two of the crimes, that of the Thomas murders and the attack on the teenagers, were in close proximity together. The one name that kept popping up was John Cooper's. The police noted that the armed house burglaries he was convicted of in 1998 covered the same geographical area as all the three unlinked crimes. And it wasn't long before John became the prime suspect in all three crimes particularly as his criminal record for violent burglary using a gun convinced officers that they had their man. Once it was known he had appeared on the TV show Bullseye, meticulous scrutinizing of the studio footage um, was compared to his image from a police sketch. Mm -hmm. Someone had seen him um, at the ATM and okay. they compared the two because, you know, he was kind of giving himself away on being on national television. Right. And that's what they were comparing the sketch to. I feel like that, that sketch didn't match. Because whenever I see 
you know, uh, a sketch of, have you seen this person? And then I see the real person. I'm like, these are not the same people. Yeah, but that hair. <laughs> well, I'm telling true, you. true. They, she, they probably just said, looks like Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but the major stumbling block to make an official arrest and charging him with murder was finding that actual forensic evidence, which is what the team is now devoted to. So police were aware that he was nearing his release date from prison and time was of the essence. So in January of 2009, after just 11 years of serving time, John Cooper was released. He was free. There were uh, newly purchased rope and gloves in his vehicle. Hmm. The psychopath was likely to continue his deadly spree of murderous attacks on innocent people again. There are multiple murders that he could be linked to. But less than three months later, he was rearrested in a dramatic sting on the street as police officers bundled the agitated serial killer back into a police car. Okay. They had finally found evidence they were looking for to bring him back into custody. The pair of khaki shorts taken mm-hmm. from John's bedroom years ago bore a striking resemblance to the shorts worn by the suspect seen at the ATM machines that day using Peter Dixon's bank card. The police sketch looked like John, and those shorts had in fact been taken from the Dixon sack and belonged to the murdered couple's daughter. Oh. Who wears short shorts, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, wow. I feel like it's Bob Ross, Richard Simmons, all of it combined. Yeah. Why, how are you? You're going to wear girls' shorts? So these weren't even cargo khakis. These are, well... I have a pair of a little bit longer khaki yeah, shorts yeah, for right women. Yeah, above your knees, mm-hmm. right? Like a little bit. Yeah. yeah, a little. But yeah, he was able to pull those bad boys up. I mean, you should see me trying to put on, like, we had a pool party this weekend mm-hmm. trying to put on my skinny jeans. I'm like, don't look, guests. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine pulling up, I don't know how old their daughter was, but seriously. Yeah. Who are you? Weird. Weird. So he even took... Funny that that was the thing. They were like, those shorts. (laughs) Not right. Whether John couldn't resist taking a trophy as a reminder of his violent crime, or maybe, who knows, he just really liked the shorts. Mm -hmm. He insisted in a police interview that the shorts in the suspect picture were longer than his. And this is where Dr. Angela Gallup comes in, my favorite forensic scientist of LGC Forensics. She played a huge role in discovering evidence from these shorts. So Gallup and her team unpicked the stitching and discovered that they had originally been longer. I mean, how can you make girl shorts even shorter? Yeah. Hold on. Well, you can. You can cut anything off short you you can it's just it's a guy that's wearing girl shorts that's making them even shorter well and i'm just trying to wrap my brain around all this maybe he just liked that attention maybe he did so john's wife had shortened them some years before within the lining of the folds 
Vital fibers were found that matched the scene of the crime on the Pembrokeshire walking trail where the Dixons had been murdered. More importantly, was a minute speck of blood on the shorts previously hidden by the folds. It's always the folds, folks. (laughs) That's right. So they were able to get that DNA from them. It matched Peter Dixon. And unable to explain how shorts had DNA evidence from Dixon, police were astonished by the way Cooper unashamedly passed the blame onto his innocent son by suggesting that he may have borrowed his shorts. Despite John's pitiful attempt to implicate his own son in the double murder, the shotgun itself revealed Peter Dixon's blood under black paint along the gun's barrel. He had painted the gun believing it would obliterate any evidence of the crime. Okay, how how dumb is this guy? I don't know, but I kind of feel like he's like, let's go to Michael's. <laughs> and bedazzle this bitch. <laughs> Just a little glue here, a little paint here. He is Bob Ross through and through. It's like, all right, everybody, on your place. I need a hot glue gun, glue sticks, rhinestones. He's like, no, 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 that's a happy little gun. He, I bet you he's got a bedazzler. He definitely has a bedazzler. Mm-hmm. During police interviews, the mildly spoken John usually kept calm and uh, was resolute about his innocence. And as the days of interviewing went by, the subject of his shotgun appeared to undermine his confidence. John's demeanor, often shouting and becoming irate, demonstrated a degree of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So on his way into court to be tried for four accounts of murder, including rape, he shouted at the press, judge me after the trial and not before. (laughs) Oh, we're judging you right now, honey. We judged you straight from the start. (laughs) The evidence was damning. His own son spoke at the trial. Also, this was their moment, and I love this. The teenagers that were attacked, yeah, they also um, got to give an emotional testimony how he had terrified them and changed them forever. He received life without parole in May of 2011, and it had taken 25 years of investigating and forensics to bring this killer to justice. Wow. His crimes had cast a menacing shadow over Pembrokeshire for a quarter of a century. John Cooper is 77 years old today. and He's still alive? He's still alive. Mm-hmm. Since his imprisonment, he has been linked with at least five other possible deaths in the Pembrokeshire area. The investigations continue. Okay. Wow. So he could still be charged with more murders. Oh, yeah. If they can link those murders to his prison folds. Yes. Prison suit folds. Oh, wow. That was wild. That was a really good one. I mean, it's starting to get warm out. I I thought we all needed a good, like, shorts story. Definitely. I will buy me a pair of khakis. How do you say, do you say khakis or, yeah, it's khakis, right? Yeah. Okay. Or we can be from, I don't know, New England, khakis. Can you tell everybody to wear short shorts in German? Kurze Hosen. (laughs) 
Oh, that's awesome. Oh, funny. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. And, um, very cool. Tune in, uh, tomorrow for true crime trivia. We can't wait to see everybody. Yeah, we can't wait to see everybody. 7.15 Eastern Standard Time. Cool. Perfect. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye.